I'm going to ask you to uh, turn with me this morning to our scripture. It is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you grab a pew Bible, I think it's on page 648 of the pew Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll be reading the first eight verses. And I'm going to invite you to, uh, for all of us to be reading it together again. Um, One of the questions that I hope that you'll ask yourself uh, this morning as a takeaway from this message is, what time is it? What time is it? If you've been here in recent weeks, you've heard us say that we're at a time or a season in the life of our church, uh, an important moment, if you will, a kairos moment, uh, uh, perhaps one of those um, uh, critical moments, if you will, in the life of our church when we are taking time to reflect, to evaluate, as well as to pray and lean in listening for God. And so for us as a church, we're sort of determining what time it is for us, but I'd like you to be thinking this morning, What time is it for you? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's read the first eight verses together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This is God's Word. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Next Sunday, we will be observing the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation that gave rise to uh, the Protestant Church. And out of that, uh, of course, came the Lutheran, the Anglican, Reformed, the Anabaptist, and several other splinter groups down through the ages. Our church, our denomination, uh, traces its roots back to the Reformation. We are heirs of the Reformation. We trace our roots back to uh, the State Church of Sweden, the Lutheran Church of Sweden. And so that's part of the reason that we are celebrating this time together. Just by the way, just out of curiosity, how many of you are lifelong covenanters. You've been in the Evangelical Covenant Church your whole life. It's actually more hands. But look, look around the rest of us who, who I'm not. So look around. There's uh, more of us who are not lifelong covenanters than those who are, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, the rest of us have been adopted into this family. You don't even, you don't even have to be Swedish to uh, you know, be welcomed into this uh, family. So just for kicks, so let's, let's uh, see what other backgrounds are represented here. We'll go back to the, to the ancient or earliest church, uh, the Catholic church. How many of you are or have been part of the Catholic church? Look at nearly as many as the Covenanters. Uh, how about Eastern Orthodox? Anybody? Eastern Orthodox? Greek? No? None? Okay, so how about all the Protestant churches, uh, starting with Lutherans? Okay, a lot of Lutherans here. Wow, former Lutherans. Uh, or Lutherans at heart, maybe. I don't know. 
That's why we're celebrating Reformation. You know that. Okay, uh, how about uh, Methodist? Okay, Anglican or Episcopalian? Presbyterian. Baptist. Okay, uh, how, how about uh, Christian re- Reformed, Christian Reformed, uh, Dutch Reformed? Okay. Anybody that I forgot? Non-denominational or interdenominational, okay? Anything else that I didn't think of? There are others, of course. So, um, interesting, just to see. So, uh, you know, our, this church, as you, as you can see by all the hands that went up at, at various times, we're sort of a melting pot, I suppose, uh, quite a mix. Yesterday in the Veritas, one of the, uh, Shelley had us look at pictures, and one of the pictures that folks picked up uh, was of a stained glass window, beautiful stained glass window. And, uh, and, it was, and I think one of the reminders was, like, sometimes we think of the church as being broken down through the ages because of all the divisions, and, and in many ways it is. But at the same time, God can take all those broken pieces and make something very beautiful. And, and I suppose if you think about the fact that we've all come from various backgrounds and traditions spiritually, various Christian churches, God's able to do something beautiful with us, bringing us together in unity uh, in a way that brings honor and glory to him. It's an amazing thing. Only the Holy Spirit could do that, you know? So today um, we remember uh, the Reformers, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and others, who at great peril challenged the medieval church. Their intent, of course, was not to divide the church, but to reform it. And the church, and by church here I mean the Holy Roman Catholic Church, historically, Uh, was at the time very wealthy, it was powerful, it was expansive, but it was not healthy. And the church in many ways had gotten off track. Renewal and reformation were needed. So on the eve of All Saints Day, on All Hallowed Eve, uh, October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther, nailed his 95 theses to the church door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. That's actually the door. I think they've replaced the doors because they now contain the 95 Theses, uh, which, by the way, are here today. They start over there, they continue there, and, and finish here. So you see them on the door. It takes up a lot of space. Those, I don't know how Luther did that on a... I don't know how he did that, but there were 95 Theses. He wrote very small. He must have written very small. And uh, he was protesting the uh, sale of indulgences. Um, The church doors served, because everybody went to church, the church doors served as a kind of public bulletin board. It's where announcements were made. And so Luther, who was an Augustinian monk, a Catholic priest, a university professor at Wittenberg, as someone who was on the inside of the church, he dared to critique the church, like uh, a long line of Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist and even Jesus. Luther was one who called out, uh, pointed out the inconsistencies and hypocrisies of religious practice in his day. And as one who was on the inside, he called for reform. You might say that Luther nailed it. The 95 Theses was a long list of statements protesting one issue. I mean, look at at all of this. This is is one issue. One issue in the church that Luther protested. Luther was very wordy, very wordy. He was uh, very verbose. And uh, these theses were written in Latin. These are uh, actually been translated, so if you want to know what the 95 theses are, they've actually been translated. Originally, they were in Latin, which is the language of the church, and they were really intended to be a debate with, um, uh, for Luther to enter into a debate with other clerics and theologians. But what happened instead was somebody happened to be that, there that day and got it on Instagram and Facebook, 
And there were even people taking selfies in front of the church door. I say that only tongue-in-cheek because historically the printing press had been invented not long before this, and it made it possible for these 95 theses to be reprinted and uh, disseminated all over Europe. And what seemed like a rather small or insignificant event or moment became uh, a Kairos moment and ignited a wildfire. That's a little bit of the background of this. And uh, the 95 Theses was directed at the sale of indulgences, which, what, what, what in the world is that? Well, the church was selling pieces of paper that guaranteed you or your loved ones who were already gone uh, to uh, be set free from purgatory or time out of purgatory. It was a get-out-of-jail-free card, only it wasn't free. And you might say that it was a sort of a creative fundraiser, and if you don't tithe in November, we might have to be selling indulgences <laughs> by the first of the year. So, uh, just saying. Um, so, and since you don't want that, I'll just leave that alone. But, um, <laughs> so, it was a creative fundraiser. I mean, you know, who needs a pie when you can spring grandma out of purgatory? So, um, so... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so the money was actually going. It was, a church, it was a fundraiser. The money was going. If you've ever been to the Vatican, the money was indirectly going to the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which is interesting because as that, as that beautiful, huge edifice was being constructed, the world was about to change. The church was about to be turned on its head. And uh, so that's where the money was going. And as our scripture says this morning, there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. Well, Luther could not remain silent in face of what he saw as gross error and greed and uh, a, a misleading, uh, a false hope that was being given to people. He argued, and it's point number 82, he argued that if the Pope had the power to free people from suffering and purgatory, he ought to do that for the sake of love rather than for money. Well, this was just the tip of the iceberg. There were many things for which the medieval church had, had, was badly in need of renewal and reform. Eventually, Luther and the, and the reformers would rock the church to its very foundation, challenging the authority of the church, challenging the authority of the papacy or the pope, uh, the uh, tradition and church councils. And the reformers argued that Scripture alone, sola scriptura, was the highest authority above popes, above church tradition, uh, above man-made rules, above church councils. They even argued that one did not need popes or professors or priests or pastors to read and interpret the Scripture for yourself. They were so intent on people having the Scriptures that uh, you see this image here. Luther in the Wartburg Castle that you saw up there a moment ago, Luther he spent a year in that castle, in the Wartburg Castle, translating the New Testament into the German language while he was in hiding. And uh, that Bible became the basis of the German language. By the way, that was 90 years before the King James Version was translated. Just interesting. So the Reformation was an earthquake event that shook the church, and it sent shockwaves that had social, economic, educational, cultural, and political ramifications. 
You cannot understand history. You can't understand the history of Europe or Western civilization if you don't have some understanding or knowledge of the Reformation because it, it, it resulted from and it played a role in seismic shifts in Western civilization. Well, you didn't come this morning to get a history lesson, though I know you're fascinated by it. So what does this have to do with us today? There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. What time is it? What season is it? What needs to happen? What needs to die? What needs to be birthed? What needs to be renewed or revived or reborn? Jesus once told Nicodemus that a man must be born again. There needs to be a spiritual rebirth. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. There's a time to die, our scripture says this morning, and a time to be born. Jesus spoke of the need for new wineskins to hold new wine. Scripture says the old is passing away, the new is coming. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it to the full, abundant life, vitality. Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. The Spirit is breathed into believers, breathed into the body of Christ, and with that breath comes life. Vitality, creativity, imagination, courage, and the wind and the fire of renewal, of revival. The timing of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation is uncanny. I think it is. We're entering, I think, into another season or cycle of human history, if you will, that is probably going to be as momentous as the Great Reformation 500 years ago, and I'm going to say more about that next week. But the timing for us at Zion is also significant for this observation, for this celebration of the Reformation. We are entering into this vitality pathway here at Zion. And the Veritas workshop that many of you attended yesterday and that the rest of you are going to find out about is fortuitous. We are in a season of evaluation and reflection. Now is the time for prayer and waiting patiently for God with the anticipation that we will experience renewal and reform individually and corporately. That's my hope. There is a need, listen, there is a need in every age for the church to experience renewal or reform. And since the Reformation, there have been subsequent awakenings, revivals, renewals, and rebirths of the church. Our own denomination was birthed out of a renewal movement. It seems that historically there are times when the church just gets lost. It loses its way. It sometimes goes off the rails. And times when God, by His Spirit, raises up an individual or individuals or a movement that helps the church find her way again to get back on track. Christ loves His bride. He is for the church. He is for us. And history has shown that. It didn't take long after the Reformation of the church to lose her way again. 
The church had become mired in a kind of dead or dry orthodoxy. I'm speaking now of the Lutheran church. And it was going through the motions, but with little life or vitality. I heard a great statement this past week that sort of sums it up, and it, and it applies in, in many areas, I suppose. And it is this. Um, religion is natural. Christianity is supernatural. Religion is natural. Christianity is supernatural. If you aren't experiencing a supernatural relationship with God, if you don't experience God in supernatural ways, at least occasionally, that you're aware that he's there, you, 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 you see it, you experience it, there are tangible things in your life. Maybe others might discount it, but you know that's God at work. You have that kind of a relationship with God, that's great. And if you don't, my encouragement to you is to lean in. That your religion would not be natural, but it would be supernatural. Okay? Religion is natural, but Christianity is supernatural. It is just too easy for the revival fires to grow cold, for our first love to be displaced, and for a once vibrant faith or vibrant faith community to slip into a kind of uh, lethargy or dullness. With each generation, the revival fire wanes, hence the need in every age to rekindle, renew, revive, and revitalize the church. And since the church is made up of individuals, there's a need for that to happen in each of our lives as well. A little over a century after Luther passed away, the church, as I said, was in need of renewal and reform. Once again, someone from within, a Lutheran pastor by the name of Philip Jacob Spener, critiqued the church, and he emphasized personal transformation. He wanted people to have a supernatural experience of God with their faith. He didn't post anything on a church door, but he did publish a book. In 1675, he published a book called Pia Desideria, Pious Desires, and that book sparked a movement known as pietism. And facing the truth of what the church had become and what personal faith had become, Spener offered practical ways for personal transformation through renewal. Well, this movement, pietism, swept through the German Lutheran church, even though the established church, the state church, balked at it and, was, um, and, and pushed against it. Uh, eventually, it, it, it held sway, and um, it was a life-giving movement. In fact, it not only transformed the Lutheran church in Germany, but it impacted other people. Through them, the Moravians, if you know their story. And then through them, John and Charles Wesley, and through them, many others, that this movement. And about 100 years after it uh, passed through Germany, it finally made its way to Sweden. And uh, the Swedish people, who were at the time well-steeped in Scripture, they had a natural religion. They, they, they knew their Bibles because it was the law. If you lived in Sweden, you were Lutheran because your king was Lutheran. And if you lived in Sweden, you were baptized, and you were catechized, and you went to church, and it was the law that you take communion. Everyone, if you're a citizen of Sweden, you do it. And so you had a people who knew the scriptures. They had been instructed, but it was all up here. And when pietism came to Sweden, it suddenly took hold here, and it was powerful. People came alive. Uh, they were their lives were transformed. They experienced the supernatural 
of Christianity, if you will. And it wasn't just salvation, but alcoholism at the time was rampant in Sweden. It was destroying communities and, and destroying the nation, and people were set free from that and other social ills. And then when they came here to America, they brought their vital experience of God with them. They brought their vital faith with them to, this, to the shores of this country. And for any of us living in Jamestown, you have to know that this especially came to fruition and flower here in Jamestown. Truly. Um, most of the... Uh, how do I say this? The, let, me, let me get this right. This is not just our story, but this is the story behind every church in this community of Jamestown that has Swedish roots, which is a lot of the churches, which includes all of the Lutheran churches in Jamestown, most of the Baptist churches in Jamestown, I say most, not all, and both covenant churches, thousands of Swedes who came to this community, many of whom experienced firsthand the power of God in their lives at work, settled in this place. They built churches, beautiful edifices, places of worship to honor the God who had given them life, joy, and peace. And this community, full of churches, now Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, non-denominational, It would appear, driving through town, that we're a very churched community. But you don't have to look too far or too close to see that the church in Jamestown and the church in America is in trouble. Church attendance and participation is declining. A growing portion of the emerging generation find little value in what the church seems to offer. For many, the evangelical expression of the church has become a political movement more than a source of of life-giving hope. What time is it? What season is it? It is time for repentance, for renewal, for reform. It is a season of seismic shifts in society and culture, and the church needs to come to terms with that. But as we look at the state of the church today, and I'm speaking now as one who's on the inside of the church, especially on the inside of the evangelical church, there is an urgent need for renewal and reform once again. Many of us feel it here at Zion and in the larger church. It's hard to say, but many of us feel like it's just not working anymore. Times have changed, the world has changed, and we need to change. Natural religion isn't cutting it. We need supernatural Christianity, which will only come with renewal and reform. One of the things that we need to come to terms with as well is that we are no longer dominant in the culture. We are no longer a Christian or culturally Christian nation. We need to begin to think and act like missionaries in our own land. And if you've ever known a missionary, the ones that are the real deal, you know that they, that they are on fire for Jesus. And they follow God's call wherever that may lead them. They, they are willing to be inconvenienced. They are willing to go wherever God calls them, even though everyone around them might be scratching their head and saying, really, that, that's where God wants you to go?
and they love people. The places that they're called to, they find ways to love the people in those places, and they learn the culture, and they build bridges so that when they have the opportunity, they can share the reason for their hope. You don't have to go to the mission field. You're living in it. You're living in it. And it's going to call for us to think about church very differently than we have in the past. What time is it? It is time for us to be missional. But that won't happen without being healthy. And so something needs to happen in here, in our own hearts, for many of us, and perhaps even here in our heads for some of us, which means that there is a need for renewal and revival in our own lives. The lives of most Christians don't look any different than their unchurched neighbors. And in some cases, the neighbors are more loving, compassionate, and caring than some Christians. You can't give what you don't have. You can't share with others what you haven't experienced yourself. You can't offer a better way if you're still living in the old way. You have no hope or healing to offer if your own heart and life have not and are not being transformed. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. What time is it? It is time for us to give ourselves to those things which will renew us in faith and hope and in love, that we may love God more deeply, that we may love our neighbor more completely. Now is the time to give ourselves to leaning in and listening to God, attentive to where he is at work, and willing to join him in his work. There's an expectation. There's an expectation that the church in every age needs to change, needs to reform, needs to be renewed. An expectation, perhaps even an anticipation that that needs to happen. In fact, our own covenant book of worship allows for it, has place for it. In the prayers, in the prayers for Reformation Sunday is this prayer that I'm going to close with. And you can just merely listen to it or you can let it be your prayer this morning. But this comes from our covenant book of worship, mindful of the need for reform in every age. God, we confess that we have lost our way again and need a new reformation. We content ourselves with easy religion. Tradition becomes so comfortable that we hesitate to ask whether it is faithful or merely cozy. Lord, let your word shake us up and your spirit renew us so that we may repent and have stronger faith and never shrink from sacrifice. In the name of Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Amen.